it's great to worship with y'all. You can go ahead and take a seat. You'll bow your heads with me. We'll enter a time of confession together. Father God, we come as a people that are needy. Lord, we confess that we have not loved the way we should love. We have not cared for each other the way that we should care for each other. And Father, we confess that as a people. We are a, a confessing people that admit our need, admit our weakness, but also celebrate your goodness to us. That despite our sin, despite our brokenness, you've loved us, you gave yourself for us, you saved us through the work of your son Jesus on the cross. So as we worship, we celebrate you. We celebrate your goodness to us. We celebrate the adoption that you give us as sons and daughters to live a new life for you. Pray that you'd empower us as we continue to sing to you. Pray in Jesus' name. Father turns his face away. 
God, we thank you for this morning, Lord. Um, God, for the chance to sing your praise as your children. God, help us to, to wait on you. God, to know what that means to find our identity and trust you today and long for your coming. God, we pray that you will make us people of your word. We thank you for it, for giving us a chance to know you through the word that you've given us, God. Help us to um, listen now, God, and put it into action. It's your name I pray. Amen. Now that you've sat down, I'm going to have you stand back up. I'd like you to meet a couple of people next to you, ask them where they're from, uh, make some new friends for just a second. You did well. I said only meet a couple of people. I hope you didn't meet three or four. So we just got to limit our time here. I want to mention a couple of things before we get into the sermon. One is a couple of weeks ago we had Laura Shepard, who's one of our uh, board members, share with you a little bit about the Navigator's work. This is the discipleship ministry here uh, in Fort Hood, actually all over the world, but he works here uh, around Fort Hood. I wanted to remind you that his brochures are out in the hallway in that rack if you would like to consider supporting him specifically in the work that he does with the Navigator's Ministry here in town. So check out that brochure uh, in the brochure rack. The other thing I want to remind you, too, we didn't mention earlier, is that third service, uh, we are starting a a third evening service. Uh, Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? Um, September 12th, uh, what we've kind of seen in the past is usually we have uh, uh, more crowds come in kind of right around the time school starts, and they all disappear Labor Day. And then September 12th, we want to be ready Uh, to make space for new people. And so we're going to start that third service September 12th. We're looking for people to commit to that and kind of make that their home where they do their worship service. It'll be the same service that we're doing in the morning. So we'll do 9 o'clock, 10.30, and 5 p.m. We've we've got some leaders committed to that, and we've got details on the screen insert if you want to get a little more information. But it'll be the same service, same preaching, same music. Um, There will be some child care, and there will be a marriage study after that service as well, the reunite study that the Browns did last year. So anyway, that information is in the bulletin, and sign up for that. If you're interested in helping us launch that new service, we would appreciate it. Um, You can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 10. If you don't have one, we've got some under the chairs. If you want to follow along, we're on page 869. And we're continuing, or actually I should say finishing today our family series called In God's Family. And uh, what we've seen over the last few months, over the summer, is we've been looking at, first we started off looking at the idea that you've got to know that you're in God's family first before you can function in whatever role he's called you to in his family. So first you have to know your adoption. You have to believe, you have to trust 
uh, in your sonship, believe that you're a daughter, a son of God, and, and have a security in that before you're going to have a security or a wealth of love or anything to give to other people. You have to know what God's given to you, and then you've got something then to share. Then you can function in whatever role he calls you to. You may not like the role he calls you to, but then you can function in that role knowing that your Heavenly Father loves you and that he cares for you, and he's placed you as a missionary in whatever place in life he's put you. He wants to use you as, a, as an agent of his love. So we've been continuing that series through the summer, then looking at different roles. We looked at work, and we looked at marriage, we looked at parenting, we looked at singleness, and, and looked at these different roles that God calls us to. And what I want to do today as we wrap this up is I want to look at the, the universal obligation that we all owe uh, as believers, as his people. Because I think what happens sometimes is we can trim down our obligations. You know, we, we trim it down to a manageable job description, and we get it down to something small that we can manage, and we say, I can, I can do this, and God's going to love me because I'm doing this really well, right? You know, we aim and, and draw a circle or, and make our own bullseye and say, look, I've, I've done it. And we've managed those, those expectations. We've managed what we believe God's commands to be. And what I want to do this morning is allow us to kind of feel the weight of this universal call that God has on us to love everyone, to love our neighbors. It's the, the name of the sermon this morning is, is Loving Your Neighbors, looking at that universal obligation we have to love everyone, not just to fulfill the, whatever small role God gives you, but also to have a, a more universal reach to love all of those that he places in our path. It's really a, a, weighty, a weighty call that God puts on us as his people. What we'll see in this text, this is kind of the famous Good Samaritan text, what we'll see in this text is we've got a guy that's trying to trip Jesus up. We've got a guy that is trying to whittle down God's law, is trying to make God's law manageable and justify himself and show that he's keeping it. And what Jesus does is, is lays a, a loving trap for this guy. Shows this guy that you can't. You can't handle God's commands. They're much bigger than you imagined. The call is much weightier than you realize. So I want us to look at that challenge today. We'll, we'll read uh, Luke verses, uh, 10, verses 25 through 37. So Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. And follow along with me. With me. It says, uh, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Jesus. Put Jesus to the test. Saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We're all just dying. For those of you that are evangelical Christians, right? You're just dying for someone to actually just come up and ask you that, right? Most of your friends aren't really interested. What, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He's actually asking him. He's asking Jesus. And Jesus knows that he's kind of trying to test him. So in verse 26, he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus likes to turn it around back on people. Verse 27, the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. That's what we saw last week in Deuteronomy 6, right? That, that love that we're to pass on to future generations. And, he adds, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is a command from Leviticus. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Kind of like, all right, well, there you go. Just do that, and everything's going to be fine. As if, as if he can do it. But he, verse 29, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So he's trying to justify himself. He's trying to make himself righteous by what he does. And so he's trying to limit the scope of God's commands. He's trying to narrow it down into little bite-sized pieces so that he can say he's achieved it. And he says, okay, who, who's my neighbor? Let's, 
let's make sure we're clear so I can prove to everybody that I'm fulfilling this, right? I'm actually doing this. So then Jesus tells them the story. This is where the parable comes in. Verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So the mountaintop where Jerusalem is, the capital, he's going down to Jericho, a city that's lower in the plains. So he's descending about 3,000 feet. It's a very rocky highway. There's caves on the sides. And so this was a really rough place to travel. And oftentimes bandits or robbers would hide in the caves and and come uh, mug people, steal things from them, beat them up, take their stuff and go hide in the caves. So the man is descending from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, the Levite, who were the assistants to the priests, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, Samaritans were the ones that the Jews hated. I don't know if you know this from history, but the Samaritans were half-breed Jews by race. They were also half-breeds by religion. They were basically like cultic. They had retained some of the Jewish religion, but not all of it. So the, so the Jews hated the Samaritans. They were always the bad guys in every story. And so here he says, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, basically medicating and cleaning and taking care of him. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, Jesus asked, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us to learn from your word this morning. We pray for your spirit to be here with us, to apply what we hear, to open up our hearts, to to listen to you, to be led by you. Father, we pray that we would feel the weight of your commands, uh, but that also your your grace would enable us uh, to love well, to fulfill your commands. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I was thinking of this lawyer uh, trying to trim down God's command, trying to narrow the scope, trying to get a manageable job there for him to do, you know, who is my neighbor? Let's, let's limit this a little bit. Let's make sure I can justify myself. I was thinking about this scene that, that you've probably seen yourself, or maybe you've actually lived this out, but... But you're, you're presented with food from someone that you really care about or maybe you really respect. Uh, but the food is not something that it would be easy for you to eat. Uh, and so you take that food, maybe it's liver and onions or something, I don't know. And you take that food and you kind of cut it into bites and you maybe kind of push some under your napkin, right? Or maybe you, you take a little bit and, and wrap it up and put it in your pocket. Or maybe there's a dog under the table, you're feeding some of the meal because you're trying to you're trying to trim it down and manage it because it's not something you can really stomach yourself and, and it and it reminded me of that scene that, that so often takes place where where we think okay I'll just I'll try to make it manageable I'll try to see if I can trim it down take a smaller bite maybe I can stomach it then and I think that's how we often approach the law I think often we're like this lawyer that was testing Jesus we're often like the lawyer in the way that we trim down God's law and we try to limit it to just a few things and say, okay, this is, this is my job description. And I can manage this. And I can do this well. 
And we like to create a, a religious checklist and say, I've, I've done these things, I'm good, therefore I've justified myself. Therefore God must be proud of me, therefore God must love me. And, and we don't really open ourselves up to the full weight of God's commands, to, to this global scope of, of loving everyone, of loving God with everything we have and loving our neighbor like ourselves. We, we pretend that we can actually do it. We pretend that we can manage God's commands, that we can fulfill them on our own. And I think it's really important for us to feel the weight, the gravity of, of how heavy this is, that we would um, understand how much God expects of us, the, the obligations that God uh, calls us to. And, and I think we need to be pushed, like, gen, like Jesus is, is gently pushing uh, this lawyer, kind of setting a, a loving trap, like I said, for this this lawyer, helping him to see that he can't justify himself. And when we really see the weight of God's commands, how big, how broad they are, hopefully that'll push us to realize that, that we need a forgiving God. We need a gracious Savior that would set us free from our own limitations so that we can then fulfill what he calls us to. But first we have to realize how great uh, this, this weight is, how big it is that, that he calls us to love him and to love others. The first thing I want us to look at is, is who we are to love. Who do we love? That's, that's the first question. That's really the specific question that the lawyer asked, right? Who, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love, right? Because I don't want to have to love everybody. Just tell me who I have to love, God, okay? Just limit it down. Who are the five people I need to love? Maybe three. Maybe if you're real generous, you could love ten people. You know, I don't know where, where you're at, what your capacity is. But in Luke 10.30, it says... Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And so the, the who that Jesus starts off with is this guy that's been beaten and is left for dead. I think God calls on us to love those who need to be loved. This guy was in dire need. He was completely broken. He was stripped. He was beaten up. All of his stuff had been taken away, and he was left half dead. I think that's the first thing that we should see when we think about who we should love, is who is needy, who is sick, who is broken. And I don't know about you, but, but sometimes that's hard, right? Because I, I prefer to love healthy, fun people, right? I mean, are you like me? Maybe I'm the only selfish one here. But I, I like to love fun people, exciting people, healthy people, but, but sick and, and broken and difficult people. That, that's a little harder, right? That's a little more, that's a little more messy. I found a picture here of, of uh, someone sick in a hospital bed, um, just to kind of give us a visual reminder of this image that Jesus gives us of, of who we are to love. There's this quote that, that's repeated in, in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'm going to read you from Luke 5.30. It says, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples of Jesus, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Basically, why are you hanging out with the bad people, right? That was a complaint that they had against Jesus. Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick have need of me. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this is a theme that comes up again and again in Jesus' teaching. He's not here for the healthy people that have it all together. Those of us that think we're fine and we don't need any help, Jesus says, all right, well, you won't get any help then. Jesus has come for the sick. He's come for the broken. And he calls us to, to do the same thing. 
He calls us to see the sick. He calls us to see the broken. He calls us to see those who are needy. And says, that's who you should be loving. Not the people that are fun to love all the time. It's okay to love those people too. Don't get me wrong. But, but that we would love the broken. That we would love those that are hurting. That we would love those who are sick. That like this man who's been stripped and beaten and left half dead on the side of the road. I want to ask you if, if you see those around you in need. Do you have the same values as Jesus? Do you see yourself as being sent to help those that are needy? Or do you see yourself more as just, as just taking? You know, seeing people as an opportunity to improve your status, to help you get farther in life. Or do you realize that God has sent you as a physician to the sick? Just as the Father sent Jesus to those who are sick. Not those who are healthy, but those who are sick. That's who needs a doctor what Jesus says. In the Beatitudes, he says, grace is for the poor, for those who mourn, for those who are meek. Jesus says, those are the ones that will see the kingdom of God. And, and it works together, right? When we realize that about ourselves, then we understand our relationship to God, that we're poor, that we're needy. We realize he's come for us, and that begins to enable us to love those people. And, and that brings us to the next section, I want to look at why do we love? Why do we love people? Jesus addresses that too, I think, in the story. In verses 31 through 33, he says, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, the Levite, as I said, Levites were also basically assistants to the priests. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Here I think we have a contrast between convenience and compassion. We don't love people because it's convenient. That's not why. We love people out of compassion. Because we have a, a feeling for them, a desire to love and to help those who are in need. Just as God had compassion on us. And so you have this great contrast here. You've got the people that God has appointed to help people, the, the priest and the Levite. They don't help because it's not convenient. And I think we should be a little bit sympathetic with these characters. It's easy to stand back, you know, 2,000 years later and say, oh, they're terrible, that's awful. But, but they had all kinds of ritual cleaning and uh, ceremonies they would have to go through. I mean, this would set them back a lot of time. They'd lose a lot of hours with this. Um, they would have to be set set back. They couldn't do their regular work. They'd have to go back to the temple and do some special rituals to get cleansed again um, after becoming unclean by helping someone who was, was beaten and sick and possibly dead. They didn't know what they were getting themselves into. And so I think we could understand that this was, this was a great cost to these guys. This would have really been a huge distraction from their daily life. But in contrast, we see a guy who, who didn't worry about that. And I think we need to be convicted that sometimes we don't love because it's, it's a great cost to us. It's difficult. It's a distraction. It would cause us a problem. It would cause us grief. But here we see the Samaritan just moving in compassion. Compassion is this word we, we've talked about a lot of times here. If you're new, you may not have heard this before. But compassion is this cool New Testament word. It's this Greek word, splankenizomai. And basically it's an idiom that means his guts were moved. And so what it's speaking to is just this, this, oh, this moving towards someone in their pain. Just this, this you, you feel it in the bottom of your heart. We might say heartache. We might say gut-wrenching. 
but, but you feel it and you are drawn to help. You just can't help yourself but help them. This word is usually used about Jesus. This is usually a Jesus word. Jesus felt compassion. It's also used here with this bad guy, the Samaritan, to show what compassion should look like, how it's spontaneous, how you just can't help yourself but be drawn to someone in their pain to help them, to have mercy on them. I had a picture here of a magnet. I thought that was kind of a helpful concept to just think about that supernatural, kind of invisible being drawn towards something. Any of you like to play with magnets? I love to play with magnets. It's okay. Don't be embarrassed. It's fun. It's good. You know, you can move them around. You can kind of get them close to each other, and then they'll jump over, and you can't really see it. It's, it's like invisible, but they're drawn to each other. And I, I believe that's how it works in our life, too. Um, it, it's not some kind of, you know, thing that you can touch or, or taste, but, but it's this feeling that God gives us. And I think really, again, it's, it's based on the love that he has for us. Again, it's, it's a right understanding of who we are in comparison to God. When we understand that God was moved in compassion towards us, when we realize all the other times compassion is used in the New Testament, it's talking about Jesus and his attitude towards us in our brokenness and in our need and in our hurt and our pain, then that begins to supernaturally change us from the inside out so that we would love out of compassion, so that we would be drawn towards people to help them. I think the first thing we have to do is, is to remember that reality that Jesus was drawn towards us. That even though we didn't deserve it, Jesus loved us. In, in Romans 5, 8, this is a great memory verse. If you have a pen, you could write this down. This is a great one to remember, to memorize. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that God demonstrates his own love for us in that reality. That even though we didn't deserve it, we were sinners. We were broken. We were wretched. We were not lovable. Christ died for us. He gave himself for us in that state. We have this backwards thinking that, that once we made ourselves look good, once we cleaned our life up, then God would start loving us. And we misunderstand the gospel. The gospel says that God knows you're broken. God knows your mess. God knows your pain. God knows what you've been into. You can't hide it from God. And while we, you, you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ came after us, even in our sin, even in our, our brokenness. And that's the story of the gospel. We have to remember that. The other thing that I want to encourage us with is, is sometimes, sometimes you don't get that order right. Because I emphasize that a lot, right? Like if you've been here for a while, you, you, you start to hear that as a drumbeat, that we would understand what God has done for us. And that begins to change us so then we would have mercy for others. We would know that God loves us so that we can love others. We would know that God forgives us so we can forgive others. I would encourage you, though, not to just sit around and wait until the feelings come. Okay? Don't, don't use that as an excuse. Don't use right theology to excuse your poor behavior. And I would encourage you to just try being merciful sometimes. Try compassion. You may not feel it in your gut. But you may just know, you know what, as a child of God, this, this is right and good. This is what I should do. I don't feel it. I don't really want to do it. But I'm going to try it. Just, just step out in faith and say, God, I'm going to try this. Help my feelings to catch up with me. Help me to feel the right way about this. Help me to love this person from the inside and not just do it going through the motions. But it's good to just step out and try it too. I want to encourage you to take those steps of obedience. Don't wait until those supernatural feelings kick in. The last thing I want to challenge us with is, is how we love. How do we actually do it? How do we carry it out? 
I think this is a big challenge for us in the evangelical church today. Um, if, if you don't know a whole lot about church history, in, in the last hundred years in America, the church is kind of split into two camps, right? There's this one side usually called evangelical, and those are the ones that, that tend to believe the Bible is worth reading. Uh, they tend to hold on to the truth of the historic gospel that Jesus died for us, gave his life for us. He rose from the grave. That's what you usually talk about as, as evangelical. There's the other uh, camp. Uh, a lot of times we think of like mainline churches, or sometimes we'll use the term liberal churches. And these churches uh, want to help people, uh, but they don't really know if all the stories about Jesus are true. They don't really know if they believe all of those things as being factual. Uh, they don't necessarily hold on to the words and the truth, but they still help people. And I think that's a very dangerous split that's happened in the last hundred years in America. Because the biblical faith is one where we believe the truth and actually live it out and actually help people. And, and Jesus always holds those things in tension. He doesn't let us split those two things out. He doesn't say, okay, you guys go over there and you tell people the truth. And then you people, you over here, don't believe the truth, just help people physically. No, he says we should, we should live it out together. We should, we should do both. We shouldn't separate the two. We should know the truth and we should show the truth at the same time in our actions and in the things we do. And so the example he gives here of what it looks like to live out a proper life, a life of love, is, is very physical, it's very hands-on, it's very messy. In verses 34 through 37, it says that he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. As I said, this was you know, like salve, and it was the cleanser of that day. He was cleaning his wounds. He was helping him. He was bandaging him. He set him on his animal. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. He took out a bunch of money, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of them. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the man couldn't even say the word Samaritan, right? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the call that we would actually help people. That we would spend the money that it costs to help people in need. That we would bandage people that are hurting. That we would do whatever it takes to help get people back on their feet. Now I know there's, there's arguments today about what are the best ways to help people, right? Um, the scripture's clear in Thessalonians. You don't help people in ways that, that encourage their laziness. But you also don't use that as an excuse to never help people either. That we are to be a, a people that is helping, that are helping those that are in need. And that should always go along with our gospel. We should always speak the gospel in the words that we say and, and show the gospel in the actions that we carry out. I found a picture here of, of a, a guy with his muddy hands. I just want you to think of that image of, of being willing to get your hands dirty. Are you, are you willing to get involved in people's lives? Are you willing to get messy? Are you willing to do what it takes to help someone that's hurting? To get involved in someone's life? Or do you just try to keep it in a simple box? Do you just try to trim it down to something you can manage so you can justify yourself and check off the list and say, I've, I've done what's good. I've done what God requires of me. Instead of feeling the weight of this call that, that we're to help everybody. Anybody who has need, at great cost to ourselves, that, that's the call that God puts on our life. And again, it can, it can be overwhelming. We have to remember that, that God did the same for us. I want to thank you guys as a congregation. I hear stories all the time. I see this at, in, uh, at work in your life. I see you helping people. Uh, many people in our church that have adopted 
orphans, they take care of people in need, they take people into their home, they help out in the education system, they, they serve people who need to be served. And so I want to say thank you. I, I see you guys setting a good example. You guys have actually encouraged me in my own faith as I see you stepping out in these ways. I know some of you, maybe you're still looking for ways to get involved in people's lives. So I wanted to share some suggestions with you, maybe some different ways that you could get involved. I have some brochures here. These are brochures that we put out in the hallway. Um, these are different ways you can get involved in ministries here locally. Uh, some of these are international. Some of these are locally. One is Hope Pregnancy Center. Uh, Hope Pregnancy Center is a place uh, that people go when they have an unexpected or unwanted pregnancy. And they try to help them care for the, the child in a loving way. Maybe uh, take care of it themselves or put the child up for adoption. I'd encourage you to, to jump in and get involved. You can find this out in the brochure rack in the hallway there in the foyer. Another thing is Family Link. Uh, many people have adopted or kept foster children through Family Link, uh, which works with Child Protective Services. Uh, Jesus said that the true religion is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress. This is the way that you can put hands and feet to the gospel. Um, another one is the Clean Food Care Center. We had Ann Ferris that runs the Clean Food Care Center come and, and speak with us a few weeks ago. She'd love to have you come visit, come help out sometime. She'd love for you to get involved. Another one is Compassion International. This is a ministry we support. Um, those of you uh, that, that see how, how rich we are here, sometimes you feel like, I want to help someone who's, who, who's really needy. Uh, and Compassion works with children that are the neediest children in third world countries all over the world. And this is a great way, again, to put hands and feet, to get involved, to, to help out in, in physical ways with children all over the world. Another one is the International Justice Mission. This is another uh, ministry that our family supports. The International Justice Mission actually works to literally set free slaves, uh, children that have been stolen or cap uh, made captive and thrown into brothels. Uh, they, they find ways to document that and investigate and get them set free and then rehabilitate them through Christ. Um, kids that have been uh, captured and, and made to work in in uh, sweatshops and child labor and things like that. They set free these slaves. Another great Christian ministry that helps people physically. Uh, Celebrate Recovery is a great ministry that we have here on Monday nights. You can get involved. Uh, find help for yourself. Help others as well just through building community and encouraging people in their struggle with addiction. Uh, finally, of course, I have to mention the nursery again. Did I mention that earlier? You could get involved with our nursery as well. Yeah, thank you. That's it's a good way to get involved helping people. I also got some, uh, some phone numbers of uh, some clearinghouses for volunteers. You could write this number down for the Army Volunteer Corps. Uh, they have basically a clearinghouse at Fort Hood where they coordinate volunteer needs from all these organizations in the community, and then they help you find a fit where you can volunteer and get involved in some organization. Um, you can call 287-8657. I didn't see anybody writing that down. 287-8657. Five, seven. You could ask me later, too. I can give it to you. That's the Army Volunteer Corps. There's also a parenting facilitator for KISD. Her name is Brenda Smith, and her number is 336-0211. 336-0211. Did you write that down? Get it? You can ask me later. There's, there's a million different ways we can get involved. We're actually looking right now about setting up maybe a Good News Club, which is a, a Christian club that meets with kids after school at one of our local elementary clubs, so you'll or elementary schools. You'll hear more about that, I'm sure, in coming weeks. There's all kinds of ways that you can serve, that you can love other people, that you can step out with compassion and love your neighbors. If you're like me, though, you're probably feeling a little overwhelmed, right? 
Okay, and as I said at the beginning, that, that's, that's part of the idea. That, that's the loving trap that, that Jesus was setting for us. Helping us to see that, that this is not something we can do on our own. That the call is much bigger than us. It's not just some manageable thing that you can fulfill. The Christian life is not something you can just go, okay, give me the list, I'll check it off, I can do it, I've got it covered. As we said, the lawyer was trying to justify himself, and Jesus wouldn't allow that to happen. He's not going to allow us to justify ourselves either. You can't just pick up this stack of brochures and say, all right, I got it. Now I'm justified. God loves me now, right? That's not how it works. That's what he wants. He wants us to do these things. He wants us to love people. But all of us fall short. And when we feel the, the weight of, of all these things that we could do, of all these needy people and our own inability, really, to meet all those needs, that should push us towards Jesus and the gospel. That should push us towards the reality that, that there is a God that is forgiving, that is loving, that is gracious, that was moved in compassion towards us. That should push us towards the reality of, of Jesus, who was stripped and beaten and left for dead in our place. That's what the cross is about, that he came to live a righteous life that we couldn't live on our own, and to live a substitutionary death in our place, to give himself for us so that we're set free to be sons and daughters of God, to know that we don't have to justify ourselves by what we do, but that we have freedom to step out in service because we have this wealth, we have these riches from which to draw on to, to give ourselves to others, a security as his children to reach out and love others. Let's pray. Father God, we, we pray for the paradox of feeling the impossibility of the call that you put on our life, but also just the wonder and the joy of how good you are, how great you are, that you gave yourself for us, that you stood in our place, that you saved us from our own inability. You saved us from the slavery we have to our own sin and selfishness. Lord, I pray that every day we would we would remember your goodness to us. We'd be set free from ourselves so that we can give ourselves to others. Lord, help us to focus on uh, the one thing right in front of us. Lord, I think for many of us, you're just, you're just asking us to do one thing. There's one need in front of us right now. Help us to meet that. By your grace, your glory. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and sing together. Just wanna ask God that He will help us to make His name great through the things that we do and and uh, the way that we follow Him. So let's sing out together.
Father, I pray that you would unleash us to be used for your glory, to love the world, for your fame. We pray for Jesus' sake.